Jesus in His high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 talked about those who believe and have not seen. Peter reiterates that theme in his epistle, whom having not seen ye love. Talking about the believers loving the Lord Jesus as never seen. But the Hebrew author says that one day our faith will be made sight. Amen. There's going to come that moment that that familiar Jesus that I've only known through the Spirit, uh, through my focus on Him, through the interaction of the Holy Spirit, through one whom I've seen only through the pages of Holy Writ, will be 3D, vital, right in front of my eyes. I'm going to see Jesus. Amen. Amen. What a blessing. Thank you, Sister Wilma, for following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. We've been going along on this theme of prayer, and I'm just going to continue as long as I feel the Holy Spirit's leading in this direction. And uh, my usual routine as a preacher is normally through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, kind of exposition type thing. And so in the coming months, we may fall into that, into a study of the Scriptures through uh, just making our way through books of the Bible. Uh, that's usually my normative place of, of preaching. Sometimes I'll fall into uh, those type of, of messages or series in which I look at a particular theme through the Scriptures. So, so be, be prepared for that. But let's continue in a foundation on prayer. And I want to talk to you on this subject this morning. A familiar hymn will be our title, Take Your Burden to the Lord and Leave It There. I'm sure Carrie's almost tired of me going around humming that song. Uh, well, you'll know why here in a moment. But uh, I've been taken up by its author with quite a bit of, of study and looking into the life of Charles Tinley. But uh, in the passage of Scripture I want to speak to you this morning, I believe lends itself to this song title. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Probably very familiar, if not a memory verse that you have lodged in your mind. But Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a promise having to do with prayer and anxiety and worry. Charles Albert Tinley was one of the eminent preachers of Methodism at the turn of the 20th century. He was born in 1851, just a few years, uh, 10 years prior, a little bit more of the Civil War, and died in 1933. Hymnologist James Abington has called Tindley, quote, a pastor, orator, poet, writer, theologian, social activist, father of African-American hymnody, progenitor of African-American gospel music, and prince of preachers. And all without a, uh, an education until he was like 17 years old. African-American gospel music scholar Horace Clarence Boyer notes that Tinley's hymns concentrated on texts 
that gave attention to such important concerns of black Christians as worldly sorrows, blessings, and woes, as well as the joys of the afterlife. He goes on to say, Tinley himself was a cosmopolitan person who wrote songs expressly for his congregation and other black Christians and attempted to speak directly to them. Tinley, this, this man that I've been studying his life and his biography, I've got some books on order, I just can't wait to get a hold of them and read them. But Tinley was a, a wonderful man who wrote many of the hymns in our songbooks that were sung around the world even still today. But when he wrote those hymns, he did so to address the needs of his black congregants in the early 20th century. At the time of Tinley's ministry in Philadelphia during the 1920s, African Americans were faced with deep-seated racial animosity, poverty and financial uh, hopelessness, and poor living and working conditions. And as a pastor of such people, Tinley focused the lyrics of his hymns to resonate along these themes. In his hymn, Leave It There, he does this, and in the opening lines of the stanza, he addresses the underlying financial poverty. He said, if the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you have to get along with meager fare, there were people among him who were struggling financially who would, who would resonate with that. In the second stanza, he touches the physical suffering of African Americans, many of whom who he preached to still bear the scars of slavery. If your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain and your soul is almost sinking in despair. Stanza 3 speaks to their treatment, the harsh realities of racial uh, divide and turmoil and hatred. When your enemies assail and your heart begins to fail. The last verse points out the struggles of this earthly life common to both blacks and whites. When your youthful days are done and old age is stealing on and your body bends beneath the weight of care. You can see how he addresses the needs of his people that he led. But in their struggles, the refrain to their song brings hope for whatever their condition. Leave it there, the Course says. Leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Now although his descriptions are targeting the plight of the 1920s African American, there is a sense in which He, which he speaks to all of us. His theme, leave it there, is one of the most difficult of spiritual disciplines. Instead of taking our burdens to the Lord and leaving them there, when we bend our knee and lay them at Jesus' free feet, we, uh, we usually end up carrying them away when we rise up from prayer. I remember hearing a story years ago 
I think it was about a Jamaican pastor who was, who was trying to illustrate what Tinley was riding. And during the message, he, he went to all the women's purses. You know, had the big purses with the straps. And he, he'd pick up all them purses and he'd carry them down to the altar. And, and he would say, oh God, I pray you would help me with my burdens. And then after he had, had his prayer done, he, he stood up and carried all them purses on his arm back to his seat. That's what we do, don't we? We have a tendency to ask God to help, but do not leave our burdens with the Lord. Why? Because we are a people prone to worry. And when the cares and burdens of life are carried under our own strength, by anxiety and worry, we can be overwhelmed with the fallout. Someone has wisely said this, and I, I love this, this quote. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its troubles, but it robs today of its strength. Jesus admitted as much when He said in Matthew 6.27, And which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life. Worry accomplishes nothing for us. And here in the Apostle Paul, in, in, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells us that the antidote to worry and anxiety is to take our burdens to the Lord in prayer and leave them there. That's his sentiment in this text. He is telling us that in our times of perplexity and concern, for whatever the future may hold, we can approach the throne of God's grace in our time of need with a sense of dependency, with a sense of trust, and in doing so, we exchange our worry and our anxiety for the peace of God. The peace like anything the world has. Jesus said, I give you peace that the world knows not of. That's the kind of peace that we can exchange our anxiety for through prayer. I believe that every one of us this morning can leave this place having the peace of God in our hearts for whatever the haunting mystery of the future may hold, by recognizing three facts that I want to draw out of this text. So there's three facts for us to focus in on to help us find peace, the peace of God through prayer. Notice first of all, I want you to see a confining problem. A confining problem, just like a deer in the headlights of an oncoming vehicle when it is confronted uh, with a vehicle. So many times worries and fears have a confining effect to us, have a paralyzing effect to keep us from going forward in this life. This is what the Apostle Paul identifies in his text when he says, do not be anxious about anything. Now first of all, I want you to see the reality of worry. Paul does not skip over and gloss over the fact that there are anxieties, there are worries in life. It's just simply a fact of life. There are going to we are going to encounter things 
that will threaten our future, that may have negative consequences. We're going to encounter a myriad of potential outcomes to situations in life that could be quite unpleasant. And to these situations, the Bible tells us, do not worry. Jesus used the same word here in our text when it says in verse 6, and do not be anxious. Jesus uses the exact same word in the Sermon on the Mount when He said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, or nor about your body or what you, what you will put on. Jesus tells the exact same thing to His, uh, uh, to, uh, to his followers as Paul does in this letter. The word translated anxious here in our text is a word that actually means to divide. It means to cut into separate pieces. You know, this is what worry does to us. When we fret about things, when we worry about difficulties and problems, we sit there and we constantly mow over the potential outcomes of every situation. It slowly begins to divide us, to tear us apart, to cut us into pieces. Listen, I know we can't run from problems. I know we cannot pretend that they don't exist. That's one thing that we have to do. We have to face problems head on. We have to face them in, in life. They're going to happen and we need to face them dead on. But worrying about them and agonizing over them and what possibly could happen in each case, it begins to tear us apart internally. Have you ever been worried about something that could go one of two ways? One way could be very pleasant and and, and good, it could be a good outcome, and then the other is completely negative. It could go frighteningly wrong. That's what Paul is warning us about. It's that mental preoccupation with futuristic outcomes of which we have no control over. This is what Paul is addressing, being torn apart by worry and anxiety. The reality is there will always be things to worry about. I had a grandmother, my Granny Green, would worry about everything. She constantly worried about my parents and, 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 and their safety constantly. And I, I, I find myself having a, a DNA kind of thing going on when Grayson's driving now. I don't know what the deal is, but when he is going from his girlfriend's house in Lookout Valley and making his way home, there's something that crawls up my back and says, a million and one things could go wrong in that 20-minute drive. And I find myself paralyzed with worry, bated breath, waiting for that door to open. That is what he's talking about here. That anxiousness, that worry in our life. It's part of life. It's a reality of life. But worry is not necessarily a necessity. That's what Paul is getting at here. Worry is not necessarily a necessity. And he leads us to what is the substitute. Not only the reality of worry, but the rejection of worry. In verse number 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Our text clearly is saying to reject 
the mental preoccupation with our problem. It is a rejection of, it is a repudiation of worry and anxiety. The Bible is telling us, read it clearly, mark it definitely in your Bible. Do not be anxious about anything. Or some translations, do not be careful. That doesn't mean, you know, be careful walking on a high rope, don't slip, don't fall. It means don't be worried, don't be anxious about anything. Anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about financial things. Don't be anxious about your homes. Don't be anxious about your nation. Don't be anxious about your grandchildren. Don't be anxious about your economy. Don't be anxious about your job. Don't be anxious about anything. We, as the people of God, have to understand we have no right to worry to be mentally preoccupied, to be torn inwardly apart by anything. You don't have a right. You're not allowed to. God's Word specifically says, do not be anxious or worry. As far as a child of God is concerned, worry is strictly prohibited by the Word of God. I like how Herbert Lockyer, great Bible commentator, he wrote this in his book, The Sins of Saints, which is a great title. But listen to what he says. We live in a troubled world and worry seems to be the most natural thing to do. Any phase of worry is unnatural and certainly unchristian. That's tall talk right there. I mean, unchristian, when I think of unchristian, I, I think of things like, uh, I mean, well, I think about alcohol, I think about illicit drugs, I think about fornication and pornography, I think about things like that. That's unchristian, but I mean, it seems like a lot of grandmothers have got a full right to worry, you know. But here we see it's a direct It's a direct command. Do not worry. And it's even backed up by the words of Jesus that it make these more effective. I'm not saying that at all. It's part of the Bible just as much as anyone else. But Jesus said, hey, you're not changing nothing by worry. Why are you worrying? Do not be anxious about your food, about your shelter, about your clothes, whatever. Do not worry. You see, uh, as far as a child of God is concerned, worry is strictly prohibited from our lives. Worry is a direct assault against faith in God. Faith and trust in God is what defines us as a believer. We believe in a God who is sitting above all things, is omnipresent, omnipowerful, omniscient. He knows all, sees all, is in control of all, sent His Son to die on a cross, raised from the grave on the third day. We are a people of belief and trust in that God. And so to worry is to undermine our faith in God. Worry may may be the most natural thing to do, but committing ourselves to the situation uh, and and our situation to God is the most supernatural thing we can do. Hey, I want to live in the supernatural. I don't want to do what is natural. I want to live in the supernatural. And the supernatural thing to do is to give it, take it to the Lord in prayer and leave it there. When you and I are burdened down with worry, the most spiritual thing we can do is come down to an altar or find a back bedroom or sit down at our kitchen table by ourselves or get down on our knees or stand on our head, whatever position you use to pray, and leave it with the Lord. Bring that burden to the Lord. 
is see, Jesus, uh, Jesus wants us to bring it to Him. Your worry accomplishes nothing. But trusting in your God's ability accomplishes anything. Your worry's not going to help at all. Me fretting over the fact that Grayson could have a wreck in the highway on Highway 11 and worrying about that all the way home until he opens that front door and says, Hello, everybody. I said, Hello, everybody. Somebody better greet me. Anyway, sorry. Uh, but I, me worrying about that is not going to do one thing. This is the, the confining problem. It is worry. Now, second of all, I want us to see a clear path. A clear path. Look at verse number 6. He said, verse number 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So, what's God's answer for worry? It is prayer. Prayer is the substitute for worry. Do you feel yourself becoming worried, fretful, fearful for your family, for your job, for your situation? The best thing you could do is pray. Because it's the complete opposite of worry. You see, it is faith and trust in God. Prayer is an expression of faith and trust in God's ability, God's control, God's sovereignty over everything. The remedy for our mental anguish is prayer. But oh, how often is it that prayer is our last resort instead of our first relief? Gosh, I think I mentioned it before about that deacons meeting where the, the things were getting bad at the church and they were gathered together and the pastor said, well, I guess we're just going to have to pray about it. And one of the deacons spoke up and said, good night. Has it come to that? It ought to be that at the first. We ought to pray first in, in time when we see anxiety on the horizon. So notice in this clear path we see an activity instructed. He said, but in everything, don't be, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. First of all, I want to just look at that, but in everything. It's the whole spectrum, the whole gamut of life. There's not one small thing that we cannot bring to our Heavenly Father. I remember when Kaylin was uh, real tiny and uh, you know, like every little kid goes through, they go through that time where every little boo-boo has to be kissed or, or dressed or band-aided or whatever. And, and it was. Every time she would bump an elbow, every time uh, she would have a, just the slightest scrape, and sometimes whether they were real or imagined, they would be brought to me. And for some reason, I think she just loved the fact of bringing her toes to me and needing her toes kissed. Daddy, I got a boo-boo on my toe. Would you, would you kiss my foot? I think she got some kind of... Uh, some kind of glee out of me kissing her foot. But, but she brought everything to us, no matter how small, no matter how, no matter how big. Listen, our Heavenly Father is the same way. There is nothing too small that does not merit His attention. There's no problem too large in which He cannot deal with. Everything to God in prayer. We're encouraged, we're implored, we're commanded to bring it to the Lord in prayer. Now the word prayer here used in our text is a word here that is a general word for making a request to God. It's any kind of request. Any kind of, of asking God. It's simply asking something of God. Years ago, there was one of these Scottish divines, you know, 
Uh, years ago, Scottish divines were seen as just a cut above in their preaching and in their eloquence and their oratory. Well, this young man, he was a Scottish minister and in his parish, his little parish, he, he wanted to try to often use lofty and profound words in his prayers to try to try to impress his people a little bit. And so one Sunday this minister was waxing most eloquent in his prayer and a little woman reached across the curtain. She'd had about enough of it. Uh, she reached across the curtain separating the choir from the pulpit, taking a firm grasp on his frock tail of the minister. She gave it a yank and was heard to whisper, just call him further and ask him for something. <laughs> Listen, when our prayers go up, it's not has to be, it does not have to be accompanied, oh great Jehovah, Lord of the universe, great and mighty one that is all in one of the Trinity, one in three, three in one. No, it doesn't have to be that way. We can come to God as a child with our boo-boos, with our problems, with our pains, with our hurts, with our cares, with the things that have yet to materialize in our lives. We can take them and give them to the Lord. The essence of prayer is asking and receiving. And then there's supplications. He says prayers and supplications. Supplications, it ups the ante. It's a, it's, it's a little bit more. This is an earnest sharing of our needs and problems. This is not half-hearted grocery list praying. But this is an upper room intercession. Uh, this is as the old timers used to call it, grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar. This is Garden of Gethsemane pleading with God. As the songwriter put it this way, Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You have no other such friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus alone. This is that supplication, that bombarding of heaven, that sense of urgency bringing our needs to Him. Whether it's the run-of-the-mill daily needs of our lives or whether it's that sudden rush of difficulty and sudden problems, both are encouraged to take them to the Lord in prayer. I ask you, what do you need to bring to Jesus today? Is there some heavy burden, something that you brought into this place that is weighing you down and worrying you constantly? I beg you, come find a place and exchange that worry for the peace of God. An activity instructed. The activity is pray. Seek God in prayer. Earnest prayer. General prayer. Asking and receiving, but place it before him in prayer. The activity instructed, then the attitude indicated. Notice the attitude in which we are instructed to have. He said, in everything by prayer and supplication, notice this, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Paul tells us that we commit ourselves and these situations to the Lord, we find ourselves in, we, we commit them to Lord in prayer, but we ought to couch those prayers and requests in an attitude of gratitude. That's interesting. God hasn't done anything yet, has He? In this prayer, I am asking Him for, for something. Then... If, if, I ha if I'm asking Him for something, that means it hasn't been addressed yet. What am I thankful for? 
Well, I'm thankful for a myriad of things in the past. How can I have an attitude of gratitude? When I come to God in prayer, I am to do so in remembrance of how good God has been to me in the past and that He is dependable. We can depend on Him in the present to be gracious and merciful in the future. Malachi tells us, I am the Lord, I change not. And if He's been good and gracious and kind to us in the past, then we can be dead level sure that in the future He will be just as good and kind and merciful and righteous in what He does in the future. You see, that is our attitude when we approach God. It is an attitude of thankfulness. God's been good to us in the past. He'll be gracious and merciful in the future. You see, that's the thanksgiving part. When we come to God in prayer about our needs and our worries, we come also with thanksgiving. I don't know how you express it. God, I thank you for how you've helped me in the past. God, I thank you once again, as the psalmist would say, how you've delivered me from all my problems, how you delivered me from the hands of my enemies, how you've delivered me from my problems, how you've brought me out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay. It is a mindset, an attitude in which we bring our requests to God, not an, okay, God, I wonder how you're going to answer this one. Listen, tell me if you're get, you get caught up in this trap. The attitude of prayer. I come into my prayer closet and I'm just as guilty as anyone else and I'm praying and as I'm praying I'm thinking, how in the world is God ever going to answer this prayer? T tell me, do you think, is I, I'm not the only one. How and how is this even possible? Or better yet, better yet, here it is, here it is. I go into my prayer closet and I've already, already in my mind thinking this prayer ain't going to get higher than the living room ceiling. It's going to bounce back down and hit me in the head. It ain't go God ain't going to answer this prayer. I'm just bumping my gums. I'm just doing, going through religious motions there. What is that? What kind of attitude? Is that a thankful attitude? No, no, not at all. Uh, that is the complete opposite of that. No, we're having the wrong attitude. Attitude has something to do with prayer. And so when we approach the throne of grace, if we want the peace of God, then there's going to have to be an attitude of thanksgiving. If you want the peace of God instead of the worry of man, you're going to have to bridge that gap with an attitude of thanksgiving in your approach to God in prayer. There is something to be said about our attitude towards God in prayer. And it's clear that our attitude ought to be in thankfulness. He may not, here's the truth of prayer. The truth of prayer is this. He may not answer it the way I think or anticipate He's going to do. That's often the problem, isn't it? We go in, we have a preconceived notion. This is really easy. I, I know you can do this. If you'll just you know, move this person here and move that and do this over here, it'll solve the problem. God, I've already figured out everything. All you've got to do is just put a little oomph behind it. I've done figured it out. Listen, sometimes God says, you don't know what you're talking about. I know how I'm going to do this. Or it might be that He does nothing at all. And He doesn't address the situation, at least in the way we can see it. So much of what God does is not out front from the eyes of men, but it's in minds and hearts that we cannot see and may not see for quite some time. See, the truth of the matter is, though, 
even if he does nothing, even if he does something completely opposite of what I thought he would do, prayer means that I trust him. I trust him. I am thankful to God because I give my prayer into the hands of the one who knows all, sees all, knows the future, has every bit of the ability to do whatever he pleases in his perfect will. I can be thankful that he will hear and answer my prayer. The confining problem, the clear path to pray and be thankful. Last of all, a comforting promise. Look at verse number 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The result of our praying is peace. Thank God. Peace. Peace. Listen, we have a world full of anxiety. Anxiety is one of the number one things in the medical world today that people are dealing with, anxiety. Anxiety over this, I mean, how much of what we've endured over the last year when it comes to the coronavirus, and I know there are steps that must be taken, but the fanatical aspect in which it has been dealt with in many regards is nothing but worry and anxiety. And here in our text, the Word of God offers us the antidote to anxiety. What is that? The peace of God. Instead of anxiety, there's tranquility. Instead of being torn into pieces, there is being held together. Instead of perplexity, there is peace. The comforting promise of God. Notice it is the peace of God. This is the comforting promise. Verse number 7, and the peace of God will be upon our hearts. Paul tells us that prayer to God brings out the peace of God. If you're here this morning and there was a point in time in your life where you realized that you were a low-down, rotten sinner, you were convinced and convicted of your sins, and you realized that you needed to repent and believe on Jesus and trust Him as your Savior and Lord. And there was a day in the past where you came down, whether it's an altar, I was sitting in a car, you were in a parking lot, wherever the case may be, and you cried out to Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come in and cleanse your life and make his home in you. If there was a time in so many words that you did, said that kind of thing, then what you experienced, and, and God saved you, and what you experienced was peace with God. Peace with God. In that moment, you had peace with God. Before you were the enemy of God through wicked works. You were rebellious. You were the object of God's wrath. You, God was at war against you. But in that moment, by the blood of Jesus, you made peace with God. But that's not exactly the same as the peace of God. The peace of God, I believe, and I'm committed to this, is a further experience of God's grace. You see, you can get up off of your feet after you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and turn around and go out to the parking lot and be met by every problem in the world and all of a sudden you are thrust into a world of anxiety and worry. You got peace with God 
you may not have the peace of God. That's what Paul's teaching here. Here's how to have the peace of God. You can have peace with God by repentance and faith in Jesus, but the peace of God comes with giving our anxieties and worries to God in prayer. The peace of God is not the removal from nor the absence of trials on the outside. It means a quiet confidence within, regardless of the circumstances around us. It's a lot like a a submarine. Heard a story about a submarine that was being tested in the field. And so the admiral sent the captain of the submarine out into the sea and the submarine went to this very extreme depth, uh, depth and just waited there for several, several hours. After a while, the test was over and the submarine reemerged and the admirable admiral radioed the captain. He said, well, how was that experience? In, how was that storm experience? How did, the, how, did the, uh, how did the submarine hold up during that storm? And the captain of the submarine said, storm? What storm? What storm are you talking about? And the admiral will begin to relate that how that during the time the, uh, the, uh, the, the submarine was down under the ocean, there was a terrible storm uh, that, that hit the island that they were near. And the, the winds and waves were horrific and there was damage to the harbor and the building and, and the harbor and, the, and the, the things in the bay there. And the captain had no idea that the thing had happened. You know why? Because he had gone down into what is known as the cushion of the sea. It is so deep in the ocean that what took place above, no matter how raging the sea, no matter how turbulent the winds, no matter how towering the waves, it had no effect on the submarine because it was in the cushion of the sea. Even though the ocean above was whipped into huge waves, the water around the submarine never stirred. You see, I tell you, that is the peace of God. The peace that passes all understanding. It's like that cushion in the midst of our storm. It may be raging all around us, but we have have tranquility in soul in the midst of the storm. We can have the peace of God. We can have it. This is a promise from the Word of God that says it is there for the taking, child of God. But when we do not pray, we have no chance of entering into the cushion of the peace of God in our troubles. You may have peace with God, but our prayerlessness keeps us from having the peace of God. Like Joseph Scriven's timeless hymn, it says it so well. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what Needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We're unwilling. For some reason we want to hold on to anxiety. We want to hold on to worry when the promise of God's Word is that we can relinquish it to God and gain peace from God. The peace of God. Then also we see the protection of God. Verse number 7, this is an added benefit. Not only the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's the, it's, that's the attitude of that admirable, that surprise. What do you mean? 
You didn't experience anything. That's the world, the world's reaction to us. Peace that they just don't understand. How? The world's falling apart. You're, 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 different things are happening. How can you be at peace? Well, that's that peace that passes all understanding. I took it my father in him. He's, uh, he's got it all in him. I, it's at my father. It's at, my, at, the, at the throne of grace. I don't have to bother with it anymore. But he says, which passes all understanding. Notice this. We'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard here in our text describes a garrison of soldiers. It's military language. You know as well as I do if you've read the Pauline epistles he loved to use use a visual image of military language or athletics. Here he uses military language. The the idea and picture of a Roman soldier would have been very familiar to everyone reading his letter. It's a military term and it refers to a garrison of soldiers standing guard. You see, the peace of God that comes with entrusting our worries to God will stand as a protective sentinel over our hearts and our minds by the person of Jesus Christ. We will have guard. That peace will stand guard over our hearts. We'll have one that is standing sentinel like a strong heavenly soldier. One that will protect our hearts. Maybe you can imagine it this way. We've, we've taken our burden to the Lord. God, I'm entrusting this situation to you. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to look to you and I know that you have it well in hand. And when we walk away, we have that peace of God in our hearts. And as we continue on through our week, when that worry and anxiety starts to sneak back in our hearts, that peace of God sentinel says, Hey, who goes there? Halt! You can't come in here. I've done giving that to God. It's already His. You get on down the road and you get out of here. It's already God's. I know, I'm kind of, you know, you know what I'm saying here. He's like a sentinel. He's a guard. Who goes there? Don't you come any closer. You get out of here. It's already been given to God. It's in His hands. He has complete control. The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds from wrong thinking. It will guard our hearts and fill our hearts uh, with, it will guard our hearts against wrong thinking. It will guard our hearts and minds against wrong feelings. It will, it will fill our hearts with confidence and protect us from anxiety and worry. Every one of us needs this sentinel of the peace of God. He will stand and guard us and guard us against these concerns and worry. We, when we refuse the act of worry, of being torn apart, we give it and we give it to the Lord to be held together and we will have the peace of God that becomes a sentinel to guard over our hearts and our lives. Paul is very clear, militarily here, when we take it to the Lord in prayer and leave it there, he posts the, the, the peace of God in our hearts which stands as a guard of the invasion of continued worry and anxiousness in our hearts and lives. Now, although Charles Tinley's hymn spoke to the general trials of the early 20th century black community, the song was ignited in Tinley's heart by a conversation with one of his congregants. The story goes that the congregant whether it was a man or woman, it's not clear in history how, who it was exactly, but he met with them at the church and, and the, the person began to pour their heart out. 
they had a lot of things going on. And it may follow with the verses of the song. They had financial worries. They had physical worries. They had problems with enemies. They had fears of death and the end of life. They, they had all these concerns and worries. And, and just unloaded on the, on the tender and, and, and caring pastor. And as the story goes, as they unfolded their burden, this quaint and tender-hearted pastor, uh, Timley, advised them to do this. This is what he said in his quaint way. Put all your troubles in a sack and take them to the Lord and leave them there. I love that. Put all your problems in a sack and take them to the Lord and leave them there. Truth, the way it folds out is that after the departure and the prayer with the congregant, Tinley went into his study and wrote the song, Leave It There. You know, this is exactly what the Word of God, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, is telling us to do. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. It doesn't mean that you can't, when you come back, it doesn't mean you pray about it one time and then you let it go. No, no, that's not, that's not it at all. It's the petition of that older woman, the woman that comes to the judge. Remember Jesus tells a story and she constantly badgers the judge for justice. I believe that we can continue to come in prayer and when we come back to that altar, that burden should still be right there. I shouldn't have it in my backpack. I shouldn't be bringing it with me. I'm going to find it at that altar and I'm going to ask God about it again. I'm going to ask until He gives me peace about it. I'm going to ask. I'm not going to worry about it, but I am going to ask about it. I'm going to continue to petition God about this this leads me to my final thought we can avoid the disobedience of worry did you get that disobedience of worry and anxiety and enjoy the guarding peace of God in our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus by bringing our worries in prayer to the Lord and leaving them in his hand Whatever you take away today, know this, worry is disobedience. It's lack of faith in God. It's against the direct command of God's Word. But we can do the opposite. We can pray and gain the peace of God and the guarding of God in our hearts and in our minds. Let's all stand to our feet. as We come to a time of invitation, a word of prayer. What is it that you brought with you today? You know, every time we gather together, we have our prayer time and there are things that are repeated that we, that we constantly come and pray about. And we pray about your family. We pray about your health needs and, and concerns for our nation and our community. And, and rightly so. But maybe there's something specific burdening you today. Whether at your seat or at this altar or wherever the case may be, why don't you unload that with the Lord? Maybe you're here today and you're lost. You don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. The best thing you can do is have peace with God. You're the enemy of God through wicked works. You need to repent and believe the gospel. You need to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus right now. But if you're here today and carrying that needless burden as a believer in Jesus, you've got peace with God, but you don't have the peace of God. I beg you to leave it with the Lord in prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you for this rich promise in your word that, God, that if we worry, we're disobeying you. And if we would exchange that worry, which is disobedience, 
for prayer. God, we can have the gift of the peace of God to not only rest in our hearts, but to guard us in our future anxieties and the, and the things that creep in, the fears that creep into our minds. We can have that peace to guard us. Help us to do that, Father. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. We're going to sing this hymn, all four verses. It took me a while to find it on the internet, but I'm so glad I did. Of Take it to the Lord. Uh, take your burden to the Lord in prayer. Let's sing these verses and, and think about what God is telling us in His Word. Go ahead.